Hi and welcome to the Sunday Lunch Project Manager podcast for Sunday the 30th of October 2022. This is your host Nigel Preeser and this week we have Andrew Bull, the monstrous teams guy. So what's been going on? Um, well, today, the 30th of October, obviously we've got a bit of a ghoulish time with uh, Halloween knocking around. I hope you're enjoying, if you celebrate and enjoy that, you enjoy yourself uh, over that period. Um, a little bit uh, fun with Andrew and his monsters of team performance um, kind of just seem to align with this week's uh, uh, celebrations going on. So that's brilliant. Um, what's been going on? I've just come back from holiday. I always seem to be coming back from holiday. Maybe I'm just imagining it. Um, had a break um, with the family. A um, little bit rainy, a little bit chilling. It's good. Didn't do a lot. Um, and yeah, it's uh, quite entertaining. Um, on another sort of related note, um, I've got, I think I've mentioned on here before that I do, a little bit of running and stuff. I uh, didn't get into London Marathon, the ballot, but I am hoping to get a charity place with Alzheimer's Research UK. Um, so, fingers crossed, I will get to that. I won't know till sort of back end of November at the moment, um, but I will be raising money, so you'll be hearing me talk about this quite a bit on the show. Um, and, and kind of coupled with that, on the 1st of November, it is the 12-month anniversary of me releasing... Um, project manager productivity hacks uh, and to celebrate that I'm discounting the uh, Kindle version uh, down to like 90, 99 pence or or whatever in your local region that is the cheapest I can get it down to um, to try and boost it a little bit and trying to get as many people to um, grab another copy of it at 10 a.m. GMT um, on Tuesday the 1st to see if I can help lift it and get a bit of visibility uh, in addition every penny that I make off the back of that of the royalties I'm going to donate to the Alzheimer's Research UK uh, as part of my fundraising because if I do get a place for them I need to raise £2,000 uh, £2,200 I think it is but I'm going to go for £2,620 uh, for obviously maybe not obvious reasons for people who don't run marathons 26.2 miles um, so if you uh, have it, if you pop it in your diary and, and grab a copy, uh, one of the difficulties of being a small independent uh, from a publishing point of view is visibility and uh, part of the, and all the algorithms and all that stuff. So that visibility um, uh, by having a, a, a sort of bow wave of stuff seems to be helping. I've seen a few authors do it. Um, if I'd realised, I'd have done it last year. But let's give it a bash. Um, Podcast-wise, I've finished off quite a few podcasts this week and next week. I've got a couple of double-upped double uh, interviews, so uh, well into uh, next year now with recordings already complete and some fantastic guests uh, coming up over the next few months. I'm not recording through December, um, but I will be releasing one episode I think oh sorry two one interview over the two episodes and then give you guys a break from the um interviews during Christmas and New Year I might put a little bit of end of year beginning of next year episode out and uh then back to it in January 
Uh, other thing, uh, a few personal sponsors I've picked up over the past few months. Uh, you'll see them in different places. Uh, it's affiliate links, um, generally focused around my um, sporting endeavours. Uh, one of them uh, transcends. It's uh, a beer called Lucky Saint, um, and it is a non-alcoholic beer brewed for for being non-alcoholic first, not being a um, a beer that's alcoholic, and then they decide to do a version of their own. They're actually focused on non-alcoholic beer. Ideal for uh, midweek when uh, I know sometimes we want to reach for something on a stressful job, but having something a bit cleaner is a better idea. Um, and also from a training point of view, it's better um, and calories and all that sort of thing. So uh, check it out. Um, I'll, I'll put a link in. It'll um, It's an affiliate link and I'll get a kickback off it. Um, but if you have a look in the show notes or, or pop along to Nigel Creaser, www, www.nigelcreaser.com slash lucky saint. Uh, and that's it, I think. So I'll let you go and, and listen to the uh, podcast. Cheers. Today, I'd like to welcome Andrew Bull to the show. Andrew is on a mission to help people, especially teams, defy gravity and elevate their performance in business and in life. Known as the interstellar strategist, uh, Andrew is adept at identifying ways to elevate team and business performance. Whether it's on his podcast, speaking or speaking at live events, he inspires people to have courage, own their future, and take action. He started his career in the UK film industry, where he helped the biggest leaders realize their visions for exciting films and advertising including things like Harry Potter, Moulin Rouge, 300, Sony, Volvo, Philips. So uh, that'll be an interesting conversation in a bit, I'm sure. Um, after 18 years in the film business, he found he was a bit of a crossroads. Whilst he was materially satisfied and the work was interesting, he lacked the time of freedom to be with his loved ones and do his hobbies. So in 2016, he started his business so he could own his future. Uh, whilst growing the business, he made many mistakes, he says, and, and suffered brutal lessons. Um, but uh, that's helped him move forward. And he has his business now, interstellarway.life, uh, which is a coaching solution that helps leaders and their teams defy gravity and elevate the performance. Um, and we're going to chat a little bit today about his, uh, his new book called Monsters of Team Performance, which sounds a bit scary. So uh, welcome to the show, Andrew. Thank you very much for having me here, Nigel. It's great to be here and uh, meet you and share some value with you and your listeners. Yeah, it's brilliant to have you on. It's uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward. Tell us, tell us a little bit about you. There's quite a lot there, and yeah, tell us all about the Harry Potter stuff as well. That'd be really intriguing. My daughters are going to go crazy when they're talking to someone about Harry Potter. So, yeah, I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Because my son, who is six, at that is at that age where he loves harry potter and i'm actually reading him the books as oh, well at the brilliant, moment. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah yeah no it's great so it's still a moment for us to really come together um but yeah i worked on a lot of the movies and actually one of the things i worked on was i'm hoping i'm not going to get myself to trouble here but making hagrid big okay yeah, yeah, i won't I say it. turning him into a giant and now my son has got me promised to him for this weekend to turn him into a giant at home. Oh, brilliant. So, so yeah, I'm going to do that for him. So, yeah, I had a lot of fun uh, doing this kind of camera tricks and camera magic in the film industry to make all this kind of cool visual effects come to life in camera, planning Fantastic. stuff. Often I'd work with directors or, you know, heads of a, a department. We'd design a complex shot. 
And then we'd bring a team together to bring all the resources together to make that shot into reality. Um, so part of that would be going to a studio and filming what we need to film against green screen and getting everything there we need and then working with the team to make sure we're, you know, got everything and actors are doing the right thing. The crew are doing the right thing. Everything's set up in the right place. And um, that's all quite critical because if you put something three foot in one direction to the wrong place, you can't get your shot. Yeah. So there's a lot, it's, it's everything has to be very detailed and really thought through. And if you don't have the right blueprint, blueprint, right, you're in big trouble. And there's a lot of scary, not very nice people uh, looking over your shoulder saying, what the heck have you done here? And why is my multi multi million dollar project being derailed by you? So yeah, it was a, it was it was a fun place, a place of high pressure. But yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I suppose in those scenarios where you are um, on a set and you've got an actor, all the team, the crew of fifty people or whatever it is, that's an expensive hour that you have to redo and reshoot if you if you do something wrong, I guess. That's right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I did make a couple of mistakes over the years. Obviously, I learned to try not to make those mistakes. But for a first unit, well, I know, back in 2000, the money to have a first unit uh, with like maybe 100 plus people there for the day is going to be like 100 grand. Wow. And then so if you start doing overtime on top of that, every hour of overtime producers really feel that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I suppose so. Yeah, and imagine interesting margins in in that whole industry. So, so um, where where are you based now? And and kind of family. You mentioned your, your son there. What's, so, what's your whole situation? Yeah, so I'm based in Loughton in Essex, which is great. We've got the forest, uh, which I kind kind of see just over that way. Nice. I take my kid every day to school on our tag along bike, which is great, which is something I wouldn't have been able to do if I was still working in the film industry. So that was a big decision that I, that I made in my life to step away from the film industry. And even though it was fun, it was just required so much of me and it was very hard to plan. Yeah. Trying to go out for dinner with friends was just kind of impossible because every time I booked something, the shoot would run over and you just can't leave. You're irreplaceable. You can't leave. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine that. It is one of those all or nothing kind of, of roles, isn't it? It's, it's You look at some roles and you think, well, can I park that and walk walk away from it? And it's, as you say, you you can't just park it, can you, uh, in that sort of uh, yeah, job? Because you, you've got a finite time, even, at, like, I suppose, with the things with, if you're filming on location somewhere, the permissions for filming in that location. I, I can't remember what it was. I was reading something or, or, or watching something where someone had that. Yeah, we had um three quarters of an hour or something in this it was like a i can't remember what it was it wasn't it was somewhere in the uk it was like stonehenge but it wasn't quite stonehenge but it was something of that sort of level of of um uh national monumenty type thing and they had as i say three quarters of an hour was their gap in this place to be able to do their film in there and it was like yeah you get it wrong well the next time you get it might be a year from there might not it i suppose yeah, that's true. And also, if you're fighting the weather as well, you could yeah. be waiting around for three weeks to get another good day. So, yeah, yeah the the time there really is a time pressure in the film industry with with getting things right. But it but it was fun as well. You know, had a met a lot of good people, filmed a lot of cool things from big stars to cockroaches. So, you know, we've done it all. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. And um, uh, what would you say was your highlight there? 
had I had a lot of fun uh, filming Moulin Rouge. That was a great project because Baz Luhrmann was an awesome leader and just such a great creative force to be around. And at the time, I was a very young green guy who thought he knew everything but knew absolutely nothing, um, which I think is a journey probably a few of us go on. Yeah. Um, so, but that, yeah, that was just a great project. And we, you know, we got actually treated like a bit like royalty out there because we'd gone out there uh, to, to film some key sequences for them, like all the stuff with the windmill and the exteriors of Montmartre. And, you know, they were so glad we'd come over to like add this whole extra layer of um, vision to their movie. And so, mm. yeah, they held, held a big party when we left and stuff. It was amazing. It was great. Cool. Did you, did, did, meet many stars in this sort of uh, roles and stuff Obi- and i'll get to the chase there you and mcgregor one of my uh, sort of obi-wan kenobi there you go he's, he's kind of up there for me <laughs> i do you know what he was at this, this party that we we had when we were going and i didn't actually chat to him but i did talk to naomi watts but you know i was quite a ridiculously um young guy who'd had too many beers so i think i was i, I <laughs> I was the guy in the ballroom sliding on his knees in between Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. That's me. <laughs> like an 11 year old at a wedding. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like this 20, 20, 20 you know, year old guy who's like having the, all this crazy time, but yeah, probably quite immature still as well. Brilliant. But, you know, you've got to be immature once, right? Yeah. Well, the, the way this maturity is learning, isn't it? And the way you learn is by doing those sort of things. I remember yeah. a time, I think I've, I may have said on the show before, but I was um, one of the first parties when I was working at, at a bank and um, the head of our area, who's the finance director, um, sort of senior to, to, the, the, to the, in the area. And I'd had a few drinks and I was explaining to him what he was doing wrong and how he could do the, the whole thing better and then the following day I kind of woke up with this kind of hang on a minute was I talking to oh god oh no and you remember the things that you were probably saying and probably thinking more more the tone of how I was saying it I was thinking and thinking oh right well now I need a new career um <laughs> but yeah as you yeah. say you, you learn about that don't you you certainly do. Yeah. I mean, we've all been there, I think, giving unsolicited advice and that's something Yeah, you become more wary of as you get older. I think as you mature, it's definitely something comes. I know my mum uh, tells me less things these days. So, you know, it does happen. Yeah. I think it, you get to the point where you realise that you have a picture of what's going on. You don't have everything else, do you? And, and they will have a much broader view. Now, it doesn't mean they're not wrong. Uh, it doesn't mean your ideas aren't right. It's just sometimes it's understanding that you kind of got to sit back sometimes and go, I don't know why they're doing that. Um, and it, there might be a damn good reason why they're doing it. And then consider that as part of the your frustration. It's hard to, though, because you can only see yeah. what you can see. Can you? One, one way I like to think about this idea is as a separation of tasks so you've got your tasks that you're working on right now and I've got the tasks that I'm working on right now and I might know how you should be doing your tasks better but if you're not ready to hear that and you've not got to that stage in life where you want to do anything about it then anything I say is going to fall on deaf ears anyway and it might create a barrier between us so it's better that I just concentrate on my tasks unless you ask for my advice with yours 
Yeah, and I find that with uh, with my teenager now, where she's getting ready for her GCSEs, how I I can't tell her how to do it. Um, I can advise her on how I've done what she's gone through and and what what my approach is, and give her tips and notes. But I kind of I'm always going well. It's it, it's yours to do. It's and here's what I would do. I'm not going to tell you to do it, but this is what I can do. Here's some tips and tricks. And there's things that she hasn't done. Um, and then later on, when she's going through, she's started doing those things because she's realized actually the way she's doing it, it's not necessarily working or not putting her in a comfortable position. So um, it's it's that balance in it between telling, coaching, and, and obviously we've come to talk about that in a moment, and that, that mentoring kind of role and where, where you blend. And I've got that with team members that I have, that I've, I've worked with and people who've been, who've coached me. It's about, Tight is, I suppose it's all about timing and delivery, isn't it? A lot of the time, yeah, I think so. Saying the right thing at the right time, and I think the most powerful thing you can do is what you're doing with your daughter is giving the right information and the right resources. But then ultimately, it's down to us as individuals whether we take action yeah. or not. And and I think all you can do is empower people with the right resources, I think, yeah. in life. Yeah, I had that I had that exact kind of conversation with her the other day. It was kind of like, well, um, it's it, I think it was about some getting some homework done and so whatever. And I said, and she's like, well, it's um, I don't know why you care. And, and it's kind of like, well, I don't. It's not important to me. It's not going to change my life. It's not going to help me get to the university I want to go to. It's going to help you. And that's kind of like, yeah, it's, I'm giving you it. It's it's I'm only telling you because I care about you. But it's actually it's you who's going to be paying the price of not doing it or the consequences, should I say, of not doing it. So um, and she kind of looked at me a bit askance and kind of like, OK. <laughs> yeah. She's a yeah. good kid. I, I paint her in a bad light sometimes. She's not. She's a great kid. Well, I Mars. think, well, you know, we're all like I was, you know, a terrible student when I was uh, probably your daughter's age because I, I was kind of tired of education. I was tired mm. of academia. And I just wanted to get out and do real stuff, have yeah. a tangible impact in the world and just get my hands dirty. And so, yeah, I was just like, whereas now I'm a much better student because I'm, I'm owning that choice. It's something I want to do. Yeah. I suppose I that's, 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 that's a big thing, isn't it? Is when you're our age, um, that education is the thing you want to learn. Um, I think, I think you also learn that, with, I know with, with both my kids, they're kind of both creative. And unfortunately, the school system isn't a creative process. It's a make sure you've got the skills process so that you're able to create later. Um, and that and, and in, in a lot of it, English literature, English and all that sort of stuff. And and that, so you see, that's where I think towards the end of it, when they got the exams and it's all this stuff. And it's kind of like, well, I started doing this because I like doing art, say, and that, or doing music. And it's kind of like, why do I care about all these different tools and skills that I'm not really interested in? And it's, whereas as we're getting, as we're, as an old, uh, when we're older, we've kind of gone through, yeah, we understand that in order to be able to do that free forming, to be able to do the create things. And I talk about it a lot of time, the, it, you get the tools of the trade built. So the guy who did the Venus de Milo was really good at feathering, was really good at doing all the different things on, on with a hammer and a chisel and everyone can be that good and then once you get to that level of technical brilliance 
then the bit on top, that creativity that creates the the beautiful artwork, the great cinema piece of work, the stuff that Baz Luhrmann, you know what I mean? You, you could, that's, he will have learned all the things of how to direct people, how to use different tools, how to use green screen, I know, focus pulling, all those things, whatever they are, and know those tools. But just because you know those tools doesn't mean that you can't, you will create a piece of artwork like like the stuff that people can do. And I think it's very similar in all our jobs, isn't it? You can learn the tools that you have the trade, but then applying them is where we, you've got to be patient to learn the tools that to then be able to apply them. Unless you know the tools, you can't apply them. It's quite different. Yeah. Yeah. You do need a basic level of understanding of many subjects. Yeah. Um, I think it's a, good, it's a good grounding in the world to get your English and, and maths correct. I mean, I use my maths in the film industry. That was yeah. something I, I didn't realise I would be using, but I actually did. So um, you never know when you're going to use these skills. But, yeah, it's good to have a basic level of understanding. I think one thing we can do, though, with our kids um, and just in general with people, so even if they're in your, in your office or, or wherever people are, that you want to be more engaged with what you're doing or with what they're doing is give them a little bit of autonomy. Give them some freedom of choice over some of their week, over some of what they're doing. So rather than making their whole week, like if they, if they're not really into maths, English and science, rather than making their whole week that give them at least 20% where they're doing that creative stuff, which they've, which they've self-selected. It's like my son was going to football and I'd like him to play football because just for social reasons, really, mm. because I think it's a good way of meeting people and interacting with people. But he said he didn't want to go anymore. Um, and like he has to go to school every day of the week. So I wasn't I, I, I wasn't going to make him go yeah. to football as well. He needs some yeah. autonomy at the weekend over what he's doing, because that will help him stay engaged with all the other stuff that he needs to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's like refilling that well, isn't it? It's that. Um... I, I saw an illustration where you've got a jug that's it's kind of your your emotional well pouring into a glass and if your emo, if your emotional well isn't full you can't pour any more into the the work you need and that we all need that as adults as as everyone I, I do we all need something that gives us energy back on top of what we're doing is that we're, with the things that draw our energy because that's life isn't it and mentally you need to step away from uh the, the things that consume your energy so that you can then refuel and step back in and refill that well. And, uh, it's funny, I whenever I talk on it, I quite often talk about the kids and stuff and, and draw parallels um, about me and, and performance and, 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 and teaching and, and teams. And I kind of sometimes hold back on it. But then I, I kind of think, well, actually, when I'm coaching my kids, I'm, I'm the, the way that I'm trying to give the advice is the same as I would an adult. It's just, there's more, there's more to learn as a kid. So you get more opportunities to do it because uh, you kind of, you get a chance to coach and you're conscious. And I think you're more, even more invested whilst I care about the people at work. I care about my kids a bit more. Um, it's, and it's, Sometimes I think, am I sounding like I'm saying that everyone that works with me is like a child? But that's not it. Is the children are more like oh, the children are adults at the same thing. You can't they they are they've got the same mental processings. It's just experience that's the difference. And I think it's that's where the 
again another realization recently that i was doing that um popped in my head and it was like oh yeah yeah so actually it is the right the analogies do work and it is sensible to do it so kind of going on we're talking about coaching in general things there and your your business um uh the interstellar way and you being the interstellar strategist she's the strategist isn't it yeah i got that right um what what is your what do you where do you see coaching and what 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 are some of your experiences with coaching with people and what um your methods and that you use to help well i've got a system of <laughs> workshops that i deliver for teams normally i will meet with a business owner and learn where their business is right now what their goals are and uh, what's happening with their team but i've got a series of workshops that i run for teams which are designed uh, based on my experience of what can help teams work a bit better um, some of the challenges I've seen in the film industry and in my own businesses and other people's businesses where, you know, when people aren't performing at their best and it's making the business less efficient and also making everyone's day more of a grind as well. Cause it's yeah. not just about productivity. It's also about enjoying the working day and get, and finishing work on time on time. So all of these things don't happen so well when there's these hidden challenges inside our businesses. And I think there's a lot of these hidden challenges yeah. inside many businesses. We end up, our businesses are institutions, right? Like a prison or a university uh, with rules and regulations, but they're not all on the surface. People get used to a way of doing things and they don't realize how that way of doing things can actually be holding not only back the business, but the team and individuals in life and just dragging everyone down and that's why i say escape gravity because the gravity is really is all these hidden forces which can can, can bring you down and and not let you tap into your full potential in life or not let your team tap into their full potential and if you do that then it can really unlock a wealth of opportunity for everyone and and the effects can be massive right because yeah. of something um, because of the social networking effect, if you if you can take a team who are like six out of ten with contentment at work and turn them into a ten out of ten contented team, and I don't mean like happy clappy, you know, ridiculously yeah. happy. I just mean at a steady good level of being content. Then that can have a huge effect on the the kids, partners, friends, and everyone else around them. It can change. You can change a whole community by improving one yeah. business. Yeah, and it does that, doesn't it? It, ra it raises all ships, doesn't it? Because that that feedback loop of if you are more content at work, and as you say, if you're back at home and you're more content at home and you feel better working at, with your contribution at the home, that makes you feel better coming back into work. And therefore, because we've all had it where we kind of sat there going, well, I'm at work and I really need to be sorting out something at home's bugging me or something. And, and, and you can hit a downward spiral or you can hit an upward spiral and it's kind of that upward spiral of it feeds each other, isn't it? You, and, and it's, it's, um, I, I've seen that myself, um, through, it's through lockdown and it, it was quite a lot of stuff like that, where I was spiraling down because of the, um, uh, the demands of, of work and the, and, and generally that underlying stress that we all had as well, which didn't help. Um, but it does, uh, it, I can see how that lift, that gravity of, of, of getting yourself up and getting away from that and, and making a better community 
Um, the happy clapper thing, as I understand as well, because I think sometimes being content doesn't necessarily mean being um, super, as you say, super happy. You're not going to be cheering every five minutes. Kind of, yeah, I'm coming in, I'm enjoying it. I'm getting that sense of achievement. I'm getting a sense of self-worth, a sense of influencing and, and, and that. And that, that all together, just at, that's what we all, I think we all strive, a lot of us strive for in our jobs. I certainly do. And it's, some, and it's difficult sometimes to find that. Um, and it's, it's interesting that where you said that we've got the, the rules and regulations that that culture isn't it it's the culture of the of the of the organization or that team that creates those rules and creates those regulations that aren't in your policy manual from hr it's just the behaviors in there and it's seeing those it's quite difficult as you say it's under the surface isn't it yeah yeah it can be they, they can be really obvious to an outsider but if you've been in that team for a while then it might not be so obvious to you that, that those things are happening. But thing, things, yeah, negative things can be happening at the cultural level. They can also be happening at the individual level as well. Um, so one post I put out on LinkedIn recently talked about Mavericks inside a business. Yeah. And um, I think we have to be careful when we talk about Mavericks because some people see Mavericks as being creative people who uh, step outside the box and do something new. And I think that's cool. I think that's a good kind of maverick but i think when you have a maverick who says what they want to other people and acts how they want around other people without any kind of respect or appreciation for other people then that has a net you know a big negative effect and i've i've worked in those businesses and teams where, where it's happened and and certainly in the film industry it's it's quite indulged by often because those people are so senior uh, I won't name any names for fear of lawsuit, but sometimes those people are so senior that they can get away with it. But but I think I don't think they should because I don't think it helps. It's not actually helping them move forward with what they're doing, and it's not helping anyone else either. No, it's not. And it, they end up. It's that. And, and again, at the conversation I had Tuesday with um, uh, Matt Schlegel, it's a, we were talking about teams and and different character types in there, and one of the characters there is, is that kind of character. And the thing is, is they're very directive. They're telling people what to do day in, day out, day in, day out. And then they, they mentioned they come to him and go, look, I've got a problem is that my team are just not autonomous enough. I've got to tell them what to do all the time. And the thing is, is they are telling them to do stuff all the time and not allowing them to be creative, not allowing them to um, be autonomous. So we, we, you get what you give, don't you? <laughs> like if, if you don't trust people, if you tell people what to do, they will wait until to be told rather than uh, if it's, it's, it, it begets the same behavior. Yeah. I think life is like a game of squash. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You hit, you hit the ball at the wall and as hard as you hit it, it comes back to you. Yeah. And what you hit at the wall comes back to you. So if you're micromanaging, and then you have to step away to go on holiday for Spain to two weeks. And then you go, oh, why do I need to be on the email and phone all the time with my team? Well, what have you been doing the other 50 weeks of the year? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's about going, right, I trust them. Go away and do it. But then on the flip side, you've got, you'll, you'll have someone who completely says, right, go on, get on with it, guys. Have fun. A bit like me sometimes. And kind of go, get on and not give any direction which is just as bad 
because not being decisive, not being directive, the team don't know what the goals are, don't know what the objectives are, don't know what their boundaries are, and then end up either charging off in the wrong direction or just sitting there going, well, I don't know what to do. And that, and that's just as bad, isn't it? And and, and it's 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 kind of take it some but in both those cases, the, the strengths of those leaders, the strengths of those people can be really good because when needed to lead, when needed to make decisions or needed to inspire or whatever, they can they are good at that. But it's about using that skill and tool and then using it too much or using it the wrong way that it becomes a problem, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, not everyone's the same, uh, but potentially, a, you know, a 20-year-old me coming into your business would need more direction. Yeah. The 44-year-old me coming into your business would just need to be given a goal, the right resources, and, you know, maybe a few rules about things that we definitely can't do or things that we must do. Yeah. And then you can just let me get on with it. Yeah. So people people need slightly different things. But, but I think the main thing to get past that, the main starting point is understanding that challenge and actually accepting that challenge and realizing that telling people what to do all the time isn't going to work long term uh, and not giving enough people enough, some people enough direction is not going to work. So we have to develop a way of doing that. And there are there are ways of, do, of of delegating stuff to people where you give them enough freedom. There are ways yeah. of doing that. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So I think, what, sorry, and one thing I'd like to say is what, the, way, the way I see it like this is when we give um, keys to our teenagers, they get that they want their first car. They want freedom, right? They've been in the back seat for 15, 16, 17 years and they're desperate to have freedom. And the moment you give the keys to the car, that person starts to grow up and become mature and take responsibility. Obviously it doesn't happen straight away. First of all, some of them might drive a bit crazy, but over time they yeah. will mature and take better decisions. Um, and this is what we need to do with our team members as well. We need to invite them into the front seat of the car yeah. and help them take responsibility for their own future in the business and the future of the business, help, help them become a stakeholder uh, give them the information they need and, and empower them. That That is the key. And not only is the key to, to having a better, stronger business, but it's a key for people to be more content because autonomy yeah. is one of the things that actually just naturally makes us feel better as humans. Yeah, it does. Because, um, and, and I think the the things that I've seen is where I'm, I'll, I've been into to roles, new roles and, and seen that, the accountabilities are muddied, uh, not not very clear boundaries. And it's kind of the thing I do in those scenarios is go, right, that's yours. That's yours. That's your business, if you like, to run. And within the certain conditions of the organization, you run that how you want. If you mess it up, fine, we'll work together and coaching you through it. But it's, it's at the end of the day, given enough autonomy to screw up, enough autonomy to get a speeding ticket. You know what I mean? That kind of thing where it's uh, non-critical, um, but a learning experience because otherwise no one gets a chance to stretch. That that 20-year-old you doesn't get a chance to become the 44-year-old you with all the experience because they're waiting to be told what to do. And I think that's, a, that's where um, a lot of this stuff is... Um, it's hard with delegation and things and it builds succession as well 
Because if you've got all of your team members and none of them can do your job, and you and my my personal view is um, is that if you are a manager, part of your job is to find out who is to identify someone to replace you, and and actually be able to do your job. And it could be that you can then turn to the organisation saying, right, I've got someone who can do most of my role and they can probably take it all. And I can take on more strategic stuff. I can help on other areas. I can be more reactive. And then eventually you'll step away from that role into another role or um, and they step up and take on that role and run it. And um, I think quite often I don't see that mentality happening. Um, and it's always kind of across at the at the, the level of the management where they do that cover and think that like holiday cover and things like that. It's I've actually seen people, I've had people stop me using one of my team to cover for me and asking one of my peers to cover for me. And I'm like, well, they've got they're influencing a lot more than this person. Some of the work they're doing, they can put off or just not do, and get rid of, and then just do my role, the, the key items, and add them in. And, and it, they, I was told not to do that. And I was, I was fuming, to be quite honest. Um, it's kind of like, a, but this is what I need to coach them this way. And they need to get experience in these meetings. And this is a way for them to do it. And and it, uh, it's, it's tough to do. I suppose it's part of, it kind of leads on to maybe some of the characters in within um, our businesses uh, that really your, your monster's book, uh, 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 kind of nice little segue there into that, that really kind of the carrot different characters have different opinions and different ways of dealing with things and, and cause different problems or, or positives so yeah. perhaps yeah wow you made it this far i'm guessing that you enjoyed the show if you have or maybe you've just left it playing in the background and forgot it was on but if you did enjoy it and uh, you're inclined to I'd be delighted if you could share your, the show with your colleagues. Uh, it's a discoverability with podcasts is quite difficult, especially with a niche one like this. But sharing with your colleagues and letting them have a chance to listen to these fantastic guests would be brilliant. If you've got time, a review on whatever platform you uh, listen to it on uh, would be great too, especially if it's a five-star one. Again, that makes it easier for people to discover the show when they're searching on there because comments uh, raise it up the old search engine ops and optimization on all the different tools if you are feeling flush i have a couple of ways you could uh, contribute one is patreon uh, patreon slash sunday lunch pm and you could uh, uh, donate some money to the to the podcast that way uh, or you can jump along to my my um website nigelcreaser.com www.nigelcreaser.com and click on the link to the shop and in there you've got all my books that i've created uh, in the varying different guises in a number of different ways you can grab a copy of those and down the bottom i've got the uh well, my guests books so everyone who's been on here if they've had a book i've got a link to their their uh, their book in there and amazon give me a little bit back for when someone buys from them but uh, more importantly uh, if you come back next time and listen, um, I'll be delighted. So I'll leave you alone and let you get on with your day now. Thank you. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview. And uh, yeah, I, uh, just another quick reminder that on the 1st of November, if you guys 
feel the the urge you if you can grab a copy of the digital book um i'd be really really um delighted and obviously we'll be helping out a little bit of a cause with uh team alzheimer's research uk so enjoy the rest of your day cheers now Well, it's goodbye from me, Nigel Creaser, and it's goodbye from him, the Sunday Lunch PM. Goodbye.